Okay, guys, I am so excited for my guest this week. Um, Tracy Jo Palmer, the beautiful, unique, gorgeous, blonde, unicorn mermaid. Um, <laughs> I met her because my girlfriend, who you all know, Michelle Hurd, forced me to go to this thing called a spin class. <laughs> I was like, what, what, what is this spin class? So I went and of course, Tracy was the instructor. It was kind of like, I just fell in love with her spirit and her energy. I'm gonna let her tell you her story. Tracy, welcome to Bootstrap Bitch. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. It's so good. I was thinking about how we met, uh, just like when we were talking about doing this podcast and it just, it feels like a lifetime ago and a second ago at the exact same time. So it's good to see you. It's nice to see you too. I, and I, I want to just talk about your journey because mm -hmm. you really had a very interesting life in such a, you're so young, you know, and you've lived, I think like four or five different lives <laughs> in this one lifetime. Very, very true. Yes, I have. I, um, I grew up thinking, um, I think what every little girl thinks that you, you grow up and you go to college and then you get a job and then you get married to the perfect high school sweetheart, um, which is exactly what I did. I married my high school sweetheart. Um, he and I were married for exactly one year. Uh, <laughs> and, but I mean, we were together for whatever, a million years before that. Um, but we got divorced after a year after we moved to LA. Um, maybe those things coincided for a reason. But, um, and, you know, I continued to date men, um, but it was always clear, like in college, I dated women a little bit. Um, and my best friend in LA one day was just like, dude, like get real with yourself. You, you, you're into women too. change your Tinder to men and women because this was like when tinder was kind of new and he was like you have to just just change it just date some women too because you're like let's get real and i was like all right fine so i changed it to women and i think that lunch that i had with my friend was when i swiped to my now wife um so we met on tinder and um we've been together now going on eight years um, and we live in Portland. Now we left LA. We live in Portland. Now we've been here four years. Um, and then when we got to Portland, we decided it was time to grow our family. So that's been our journey for the last two years about. And I want to talk about that obviously, but one of the things that interested me about you was I had this feeling, and I don't know if I was right or wrong, but when we were spending time together in spin class and you came over to, you know, for dinner once or twice, I always felt this sense that you were a little lost. Yeah, yeah I think that that's probably fairly accurate. I think that I, um, LA is a really great place to live in your 20s. Like, it's so fun. There's always something to do. But I also think that you can get swept up in everybody else's thing in Los Angeles. Um, 
And I think as a fitness instructor there, I was just having a really hard time navigating the, when you meet somebody in LA, <laughs> they'd say, so what do you do? And it almost feels like if you can't do something for me, or if this relationship can't be uh, helpful to each other, like a friendship is only built on what you can get from somebody else. And so then I would say, well, I'm in fitness. Oh, who do you train? Then they wanted to know what celebrities I trained. And so I think that I just felt like um, there was, there was a lack of like people being authentic and genuine within the circle that I was in. And I think that that's, it's a tough thing to navigate in fitness in Los Angeles. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that definitely, that and me kind of coming into who I was um, with my own identity and, uh, you know, decide, like eventually figuring out what pansexuality was and how that is what I felt, what label most, you know, attracted my attention to because bisexual didn't make sense to me. Um, so I think a, a combination of all of those things, I probably was lost until I was about mm, 26, 27 years old. Um, yeah, I think, I think that that's probably an accurate feeling. I think also too, and correct me if I'm wrong, I might have my, my dates wrong, but during that time, I believe you also, I know that you were adopted mm -hmm. and yep. during that time, I believe you finally met your birth father. Yes, correct. So I think there were, a, there was, it was like a perfect storm for you. I was witnessing. Yes. It, things kind of happened and yes. you, you became more open about who you were at the same time you met your father. So you were able to kind of go back into your roots and see who you were and who this, this, this person who gave you life. Um, totally. And you were able to have a relationship with him, which is yep. unbelievable. Yep. You know, and still have your parents, you know, the ones. Oh, yes. Yeah, of course. So all of a sudden your life becomes richer. So the, 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 the feeling of loss is kind of now receding as you're being, you're finding out who you were, who you are, who you're going to be and who you're going to be with. And I just remember seeing that journey. And when you met Lindsay and when you guys were getting married, I remember going to myself, oh, that's who she is. She's found Tracy. Yep. Nice to meet you after three years. <laughs> I think that it's, it's true. As I became, like you said, more open about who I was, everything just started to kind of click into place, which is, I think sometimes people think it's the opposite that you should find out who you are kind of in this guarded way. Um, but the more open I became with everything, the more it all just fell into place exactly how I Obviously, I feel like it should be. What's important about what you just said is that I think you found yourself by getting rid of your fears. Because if you think about it, being in LA, being vulnerable, not really sure who, mm -hmm. who you are, what, you know, what you're doing, and then reaching out to this man who, gave, who helped give you life, and you don't know, is he going to reject me? Yeah. Am I going to reject him? If I tell people I'm gay, I'm pansexual, I'm like... Uh, a purple unicorn with pink polka dots? Am I going to be rejected? So you found your way in picking yourself up by your bootstraps in losing the fear and the noise. Yep. A hundred percent. 
Yes, exactly did right. That, did you know that you were doing that? No. Consciously, no. No, no idea. I was probably more terrified than I ever had been, to be completely honest. But then like, in retrospect, to like, look back on it, it's like, holy shit, everything I did was actually really brave. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, not a clue. Not a clue. I think so often people feel like they, they have to have a plan. And I think, uh-huh. I think plans are good. You know, if you're taking a, like a road trip, you know, <laughs> plans are good to have your gas tank filled, your snacks in the car, you know, where the bathrooms are all, you know, along yep. the route. But I think in the grand picture of life in the, who am I? I mean, I've seen it with my own child. The, at a certain point, you kind of have to go, I can't keep questioning. I can't keep thinking about it. I can't keep waiting for the right time. I can't keep, you just gotta be. And I'm the like queen of plans. And I feel like, I mean, obviously, I mean, I guess within the last like five to seven years, like probably when I started to truly figure out who I was, I realized that even if you have a plan, it's not going to go that way. (laughs) So it's almost like, what's the point? The planning is just a waste of energy uh, because it's never going to go the way that you think it's going to go. So it's, I think that uh, I'm a little bit of a control freak. And I think that learning to let go of some of that and the planning and the control has been one of the hardest, but best lessons in like semi-recent years of my life, for sure. The letting go process is, is an act of bravery. And in essence, it is a plan in and of itself. You know, my, my mom used to say to me, if you want to hear God laugh, make a plan. Yes. Yes. 100%. So even yep. in, so now if we segue into, okay, so now we know, we know we have a father who has embraced you. We have wonderful family. We've met Lindsay. We've gotten married. We decided to get the fuck out of LA because it's a cesspool. <laughs> and move to Oregon, where you're still a fitness instructor, correct? Yes. Kind of high COVID hiatus, but yes, yes, still fitness. Okay. And um, now you begin the plan to start a family. Uh-huh. And how many times did you hear God laugh then? <laughs> I mean, two years straight, probably. <laughs> Just constant laughter. Yes just a solid stream. It's a laugh track at this point. Yeah. yeah it's a loop. So yeah. that's gotta be, I mean, obviously I, I conceived two of my children naturally and one of my children through, you know, the, 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 the blessings of science. But with the two of you, obviously it's the blessings of science. Yeah. That's our only, that's our only option. That's your only option. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Which was always the best when people would be like, just relax and it'll happen. It's like, no, I mean, we literally need multiple people involved to make this happen. It's not just us relaxing. Right. So you have your staff now, you have your fertility staff. And Mm -hmm. what was, can you walk us through that journey? Because there are so many people out there who are going through what you're going through and you have a wonderful phrase for it. What, what is it? Queer fertility? Queer yeah. I love that. I mean, you need to trademark that, honestly, because that's got to be really hard. 
Yeah. When we decided to get pregnant or try to get pregnant, um, my wife has no desire to carry. So that was me. And I, you know, didn't grow up knowing my biological parents. So to me, having something that had my DNA is always been an attractive idea to me. So it's just so interesting because there's no information about where to begin this process as a queer person. Um, the people that I know that our parents and our same sex are queer, we get our information from our friends who have kids. So it's like this weird kind of underground message system of what did you do? What doctor did you go to? What clinic, what midwife is, you know, queer friendly? There's no like Googling to give you a bunch of information on queer fertility. It just doesn't exist. It's starting to a bit more. So we just asked our friends, we were like, how, how'd you get pregnant? What'd you do? And with a little bit of, you know, our own, what path do we want to take? We started with, um, we knew we wanted to use a sperm donor. We didn't want to use a known donor, uh, multiple reasons. It's complicated. There's legalities involved. We also just weren't really comfortable with like, oh, you kind of look like Uncle Kevin or what, you know, like it's just a little weird. Um, And then the other part of it is because I am adopted, I wanted the same kind of option that I had, which was at 18, here's the information. If you do what you want with it, if you want to try and meet this person, we fully support it. Um, if not, that's completely up to you. Um, now, can I ask you a question there? Does yeah. the donor put down, I want to become, or I never want to know? There's, there's open donors and then anonymous donors. So we only looked for an, um, open donors because okay. we wanted somebody who was at least open to some amount of contact down the road. Okay. Um, so that's what we looked at through our sperm bank. Um, so we decided to, we found a sperm donor, uh, which is a bizarre process in and of itself. Um, and then we found a midwife that would come to our house and do IUIs for us at our house. Um, so she, I would, you know, I was tracking my, my ovulation for like six months previous um, using basal body temperature. So I would call her and be like, it's go time. And she would come over and, um, we did five cycles and six IUIs. So one cycle to try and nail the timing, we did an IUI one day, and then she came over the next day and we did another IUI all with no success. Um, and at that point I was exhausted. We were just like, cause I think the other thing is everybody thinks, and they make the assumption I'm healthy all my doctors told me you're good. We did some initial testing. Everything looks great. I think everybody thinks they're going to get pregnant easily. What are we told in sex ed growing up? Have sex once, careful, going to get knocked up. So I think that we all, we, every queer person I've talked to, every woman I've talked to has said, totally thought this would be easy for me. Nobody ever thinks they're going to deal with infertility. Um, So at that point, I think we were just like, a bit um, discouraged and we just like needed a break. So we just kind of stepped back and then we were like, let's get some extra help. Because the other thing is doing the at home IUIs is I had this idea in my head that it would be like 
oh, it's like kind of romantic and like cozy, like Lindsay's laying next to me on the bed and like, you know, it's just, we would light a candle and shit. Like I thought it was going to be like something that it's not, it's a fucking medical procedure. Like exactly. it doesn't, it doesn't need to be like sexy. Like yeah. no. we had to like, we would get the, the sperm bank would mail us the sperm in this big bonkers looking tank. And we would have to unthaw it ourselves, which like my wife every time was like, I'm killing this sperm. Like, how do we know that we're doing this right? Like, there's just so many variables or like, what if these ovulation test strips are messed up? Do I, am I even ovulating right now? Who knows? Like there was just so many elements. Um, And so at that point we were like, you know what, let's go to a fertility clinic and let's just like, first of all, make sure that everything is as it should be with me. And then at least we have a little bit more professional assistance in this way more complicated process than you think that it is. I mean, how do you thaw sperm? Like, would you microwave oh my God, it, it like a baby bottle? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, we just used, a, like, they're like, put water in a glass at, I don't remember what the temperature was, like 96 degrees. And then you just like hold the little vial in water and you have to hope that you don't like accidentally dunk it and like get water in the vial. It's it's just too. That's too it's much. Stre- to it's too much. Too and my it, it stressed my it wife is- out. And like, I need her to be calm because I'm the stressed out one already. So it was just we just decided that was not for us. We tried it. I thought it was going to be cutesy with our candle and whatever a midwife at our house with her like headlamp at the end of our bed like truly like she was going spelunking like it was yes and it was just not like it was it was a cute idea for us it just was and it works for people people get I know people who've gotten pregnant their first time doing that so it does work don't be discouraged by our story it was not for us um so we decided we took like a six month break after that. Cause I was like, not drinking, no caffeine. I was not working out as regularly. Pregnant like that. Tracy. I know, right. It's just like, what was I thinking? But it's like, these are all the things that we tell people. No, it's the drunk girl. It's the girl who's been smoking yeah. a pack of Marlboros a day. Totally. Who's 100%. And that's when, well, yeah. You're too, so, clean. You're too clean. You have to have some grunge on you. Yeah. So we, we, we got six months where I like started to finally feel like myself again. Um, and then COVID happened. Um, but our fertility clinic was doing like Zoom sessions. So we did like an initial consultation via Zoom with um, who ended up being our fertility doctor. And she was wonderful. And we did some initial testing. Everything was looked great with me as far as fertility um, was concerned. And so we started doing, uh, she kind of said, let's start out, I'll let you do four IUIs. After the fourth, we'll regroup and we'll kind of, you know, maybe we'll have the IVF talk. We'll just kind of, we'll see. But she was like, you know, at four, we got to start talking about statistics and like, if this is going to work for you and, you know, continuing to throw money at down a path, that's not necessarily going to work because it's not cheap. It's not cheap at all. Um, and so 
Your we did. Is very expensive. <laughs> so expensive. Pricey. Pricey. It's pr- I, I, I remember once my, my daughter saw me and I had a tampon in. She's like, mommy, why do you have a price tag hanging out of your vagina? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I mean, I that. actually not wrong. Not wrong. A really valuable lesson right there. <laughs> yes. All right. So at this point, so you got, so we, you got four times it back. Yep. We started with medicated. They just, she was like straight out the gate. We're doing medicated IUIs. You've already tried unmedicated. Let's give you some drugs and see what happens. Yeah, so we did, Clomid. we started with Clomid. Yep. Um, fun. first dose wasn't, they started me at the lowest dose just to see what would happen. Cause they didn't want to, you know, octo mom situation. Um, so I, it just, it, the first time it didn't really, I got one follicle, we did an IUI, but we all were kind of like, yeah, this isn't going to work. It didn't work. Um, second round, they upped my dosage. Um, and we got four follicles that time and we, we were able to use a trigger shot that time as well, which helps just nail the timing of the IUI. And that time I got pregnant, but from the go, uh, on the first phone call of getting our HCG blood test, the number was low, but they were still like, you're pregnant, but we need to do another test and like, make sure that this is developing as it should. So two days later, I went in for another blood test it was still not where it should be. And so they were like, it's going up, but it's not where it should be. Like we're cautiously optimistic, but it was always, but. And so we were, you know, it's extremely stressful. We've been waiting for a positive test for forever and ever and ever. And it just was such a letdown because it wasn't, we didn't feel like we could even get excited. Um, And then eventually gosh, I don't even, I've blocked this out of my memory because it was so traumatic, but I think eventually the number actually did go down. Um, and so they were like, okay, you're going to, you're going to miscarry. I would just, I would, you know, plan in the next week for this to start happening. Uh, but then what they don't tell you about these sorts of things is then you need to wait for the HCG to be fully out of your system. So that took me another, I don't know, three weeks. So now this is been a almost three month process, just having a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. But then we were finally got the go ahead to try again. Mm -hmm. So my team was like, you know what? Clomid worked, that dose worked, that donor worked. We're gonna do everything exactly the same. And we know you can get pregnant. We know we can get sperm to egg, great. So we did another same thing and it didn't work. So now we're to our final like chance. And honestly, at this point, I had kind of been resolved to the fact like, we're going to do IVF. We started talking like, how are we going to afford this? What loans are we going to get? Like, how are we going to make this? Like we had, we were just like, this last IUI is kind of a throwaway in our, like truly what we thought. Um, But my wife kept reminding me like, don't get ahead of yourself. Like we still have one more shot. I advocated to completely switch up our meds and I wanted to switch to letrozole um, and just give it a shot. My doctor agreed that Clomid had kind of run its course. We had, you know, done everything we could with it. And I also advocated for progesterone suppositories, which 
I don't, what, what person wants suppositories? They're absolutely not fun. And the research is a little flimsy around them, but I was just kind of like, whatever, just throw everything in the kitchen sink at this last round. Yep. So we did letrozole. Everybody's yep. in there. Every, yep. throw it all in there. Yep. Everything. Everything. Yep. So we did letrozole. We did our final IUI and, um, I got pregnant. And everything was different this time from the first blood test numbers were good. It doubled as it should six weeks. We got to see a heartbeat, everything. So now today I'm 14 weeks. That is amazing. Congratulations. I mean, thank you. It's, it makes me want to, I'm going to tear up. You're making me tear up. <laughs> but you know what? Your, your first angel baby, your angel baby, that baby took care of you. Your baby said, you know what? I'm going to take care of my mommy. And when it's right, I'm going to come back. And it's, yep. it's a beautiful thing. I'm so happy for the both of you. Thank you. We're very excited. I mean, it was first trimester was terrifying <laughs> to be completely honest. I think, sure I think bubble wrapped. Yeah. Pregnancy after loss is just, you know, yes. it's, it's not. You're not just like, great, I'm pregnant. <laughs> like everything, like, I feel like I was like walking gingerly down the stairs, you know, like everything. I was just like terrified. But um, I think also with a fertility clinic, you're kind of handled with white gloves <laughs> and we got, you know, extra ultrasounds and we kind of were handheld throughout the first trimester. So, which helps a bit, you know, I, I think I've had four ultrasounds now. Most women don't even have that in their entire pregnancy. So um, we're really grateful, but it was still stressful through the first trimester, I would say for sure. Well, of course, because when you're coming back from loss, honestly, you, you're like John Travolta, boy in the plastic bubble. Like you're- Yes. I had a girlfriend who had three, three miscarriages before she finally got pregnant. And I remember her lying in the back of the car. She wouldn't even sit in the back of the car because she was afraid to be jostled. So yep. she would lie down and then we would drive her around. By the fourth time that she was pregnant, she was like, fuck it, I'm going rollerblading. <laughs> she was like on a skateboard. Cause you, yeah. I mean, cause you know what? You, you can't shake a good egg. Nope. You can't shake it. At like nine or 10 weeks, fell down the stairs, <laughs> which like, I don't listen. I, here's a pregnancy symptom nobody talks about. I was clumsy as hell. Like it's, I'm getting a little better, but I was dropping shit, falling down. Like, I don't know what the hell was going on, but I felt like, boom, 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 like really fell down the stairs and called my wife. I felt, and she was like, did you fall like on your uterus? You're fine. Like, and don't Google it. Get off of your yeah, computer. Like, it. But it's just, it's so, you know, bonkers what your brain does when you're just terrified. Well, do you remember in Sex in the City when she finally gets pregnant and she says, I'm so fucking happy that I'm terrified. I finally have everything that I've ever wanted, which is why the character wasn't running, you know? Yep. The fact of the matter is you do what you did beforehand and people don't talk about miscarriage. Nope. They don't, they don't talk about it at all. It's like an un- and it's almost like those babies never existed. And that's not true because they did exist. It's also interesting, like nobody talks about miscarriage. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of shame surrounding it because for whatever reason, we all think that it's our fault or we did something wrong when 
you know, that's not absolutely not the case. But the other thing is, we don't know how to respond to uncomfortable situations like miscarriage. So when, when I was really open about it, when we went through it and, you know, it's just so interesting, the, the contrast in the response we got to having a miscarriage versus our pregnancy announcement. And I just feel like, you know, people are so, and it's no fault of anybody. Our, our culture is just, we're not good at holding space for people. We're not good at hard conversations. We're not good at discomfort. Um, and so it was just very interesting that e even close friends, you know, hush crickets. And it, once again, no fault of their own. It's just, it's just something that we're so, we're just so scared of saying the wrong thing. So we end up saying nothing. And that's worse than saying the wrong thing for sure. Well, that's a mouthful sister. That's true. Yeah. I, I love that. We're so afraid of saying the wrong thing that we say nothing and that's worse. Yes. I miscarried on, on set. Nobody knew I was pregnant, not even my mother, but apparently Les Moonves at CBS knew I was pregnant because somebody in my doctor's office heard them congratulating me who worked at CBS. Wow. So, so I, I had to confide in somebody. So I confided in our um, AD, our second AD. And she said, we already know. I was like, how do you already know? And that's how I found out that somebody had said something. Um, but I had to go into my, my, uh, my showrunner because I had to, my character was performing something on a pregnant woman and, and something bad had happened. I don't even remember. But my showrunner was like, and you will not be doing that scene. So we're cutting yeah. from the day. And if there's any, you know, she was- Oh my God. I mean, I'm so glad that they even thought of that. Yes. They, she immediately cut it. I no longer had to say anything. Oh. They, my producers literally flanked me on, and no, no, they didn't say anything to me. They just wouldn't leave my side. That's, I mean, that's awesome though. That's- no, was, I was so very, very much taken care of. But even then, you know, it's, it's not, it's not something that we talk about and it needs to be spoken about. And your story is so relevant and so important and also really so good for people to see, you know what, it can happen. It can absolutely happen. Yep. And it's going to be remarkable. And we don't know the gender of the baby. <laughs> We don't bring out the gender of the baby, because by the way, even if you find out the sex of the baby, I love what you said. You don't know the gender. Yeah. I thought that was really profound. And I think what the way you and Lindsay are going to raise this child is, um, is monumental for the world that we're living in. We're going to try. It's hard. It's so, you know, even both of us who are extremely conscious of these things, it's so ingrained in everything. Um, so it's, it's, you know, even, even us who want to do the best job that we can find ourselves slipping into things. I feel like everything we were like dabbling in the baby registry and like everything I'm picking is like gray, black and white. We're going to have a little goth baby because I feel like it's just so hot. Like everything's like frilly and pink or like blue ladies man like it's just it's weird um 
yeah, but we're getting there. There's a lot more gender neutral stuff than there ever has been before. So progress is being made. Here's the thing. Here's what I've learned in raising three kids. They're not yours. They're on lease to you. That lease expires. And when that lease expires, you had better have taken care of it, not ridden it too hard, feed it, fuel it, wash it, give it as much nurturing and love as you possibly can so that you can send it out into the world when your lease is up to have a life of its own. And as it's exiting your door, there should be a sign that says, don't be a dick. <laughs> like, that's it. It's really that simple. You just don't know. They come out of you their own people. Um, I was just going to say, my, my friend Coco was the first to like teach me that lesson. Like these, these children are their own beings from the moment that they're like, you cannot, they are who they are. You may help with certain things. Yes. you know, instilling yeah. different values and whatever, but they are who they are from the from start. Pickup. So you yep. can ask that kid, a boy in pink and a girl in black and, and who knows, the whole thing's a miracle to begin with. Yep, absolutely. If it's a miracle to begin with, then the miracle, again, we go when we're full circle back to a plan. You can make all the plans you want, but this kid's going to come out of you with a cigarette and a martini going, let's start the party. <laughs> let's start the party. We're ready. I know you're ready. I know you're ready. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm ready, but we'll see. It doesn't matter, dear, if you're ready. It's true. It doesn't matter. They're coming. They're coming. This baby does not care whether you're ready or not. <laughs> so between 37, th 37 to 40 weeks, just be on guard. <laughs> just be on guard because you just never know when, when that kid's going to make his or her appearance. And I'm so proud of both of you. And I'm so happy for both of you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for coming on and showing people who are in the darkest times and feeling the lowest and suffering the most tragic loss that out of that comes birth and comes life and comes joy. Thank you. You're amazing, Trace. So grateful for you.